Hello, everyone. Uh, welcome to the Let the Dead Bury Their Own Dead podcast, or LDBD for short. Uh, this is going to be my first recording, uh, and we'll give it a whirl and see how it goes. Now, this lesson today is culture, uh, and it talks about some of the uh, passages that we like to overlook in the Bible. Uh, and I think this can be really detrimental to our faith, not because we need to be legalistic, uh, about um, forcing all of the commandments on everyone, but unless we begin to realize that we have backslidden collectively, uh, then we will, as the scripture puts it, be ignored by God. Uh, and I, I personally take that very seriously, uh, and I would hope everybody would do the same. Uh, and also, I'm going to be uh, speaking literally about some of the interpretations of these passages, and that's not usually very popular. Uh, I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened to whichever uh, interpretation uh, God is trying to use to teach you, uh, but that uh, in the very least, whether you believe that any reform should be made based on it, that, uh, that it would be used as an example uh, to show how we don't acknowledge some of parts of Scripture uh, because we are just unfamiliar with them. Uh, now, I'll go ahead and begin uh, Father, I pray that you would just uh, give me the words to speak and that, uh, that you would draw the people who you want to hear this message to this message uh, and that you would uh, bless everyone that hears it uh, and uh, give me the strength to stand for, for what I believe. Amen. Now, the reason I'm here is because the Bible has passages and sections that we love to ignore. Ironically, one passage in Scripture says this verbatim. I'm going now to 1 Corinthians 14, 36-38. This passage is about orderly worship, and I'm beginning on the second to last paragraph after it's talked about the substance of uh, how he goes into orderly worship. Um, and now it talks about the ramifications of not following the reforms given to the Corinthians here by Paul. Uh, he says, did the word of God originate with you? Are you the only people that it's reached? If anybody thinks he's a prophet or spiritually gifted, let him acknowledge what I'm writing to you is the Lord's command. If he ignores this, he himself will be ignored. Now that's that's pretty powerful statement to say that, that uh, if he ignores this, he himself will be ignored. Uh, and a lot of what he talks about is the fact that some of the Gentile churches uh, have begun to lose the customs given in Torah uh, because they begin to kind of try to make Christ fit their mold rather than dying to themselves and fitting the mold of Christ. Now, we can infer that because Paul tells us to remember where the word of God originated, this will be uncomfortable to Gentile convert cultures. We also know that it's unfathomably important to God himself because if we ignore this command regarding our culture, we will be ignored. Now, here's what he was talking about. Uh, for God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, in verse 33. As in all the congregations of the saints, women should remain silent in the churches. They're not allowed to speak, but must be in submission as the law says, or as the Torah says, the capital L, God's law. If they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home, for it's disgraceful for a woman to speak in church. And I'll continue back to reiterate what was said. 
Did the word of God originate with you? Or are you the only people that it's reached? If anybody thinks he's a prophet or spiritually gifted, let him acknowledge that what I'm writing to you is the Lord's command. If he ignores this, he himself will be ignored. I think also that, uh, just a little side note, the Jewish ways given by God are not uh, just to make a funky little um, uh, standoffish culture. It is holy, not because it's different than other cultures as uniqueness, but it's holy because it's God's ways grafted and grandfathered in to the Jewish people. So to follow Christ in the way that he was Jewish is not saying that uh, the Gentiles should become more Jewish. It's the Gentiles should become more Godish because God's ways are not Jewish. Jewish ways are Godish, if that makes sense. Now, you don't hear this very often from your pastors, and do you know why? In this generation, if these sheep hear anything that makes them uncomfortable, they leave the pastor or leave the church, the ecclesia of Elohim, altogether. You love to condemn the world in your 21st century holy lounge chairs, speaking of how you can't wait for the rapture. So, if you then recognize the signs of the times, here is a prophecy that has certainly been fulfilled. Now, if you're following along, we're going over to 2 Timothy 4, 1-5. through 5. And it reads, In the presence of God and of Messiah Yeshua, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of His appearing in His kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from truth and turn aside to myths. But you... Keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. Why is it that none of you know these things? My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. If this is the fate of those who put more weight into the scriptures than the Holy Spirit, what has become of all the rest? You've allowed yourself to be spoon-fed by men and have neglected independent study. For even your independent study is dictated by workbooks, guides, and commentaries. Instead, wash yourselves of what you think that you know and allow God's Messiah alone to teach you. For it is written in Matthew 23, 8 through 12. Give me a second to turn there. Here. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you only have one master, and you're all brothers. Do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father, and he is in heaven. Nor are you to be called teacher, for you have one teacher, the Messiah. The greatest among you will be your servant, for whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Now why is that that I, a young man, have no scholarly training, but have more salt and fire than your best? Well, it is said plainly in Psalms, and I ask you, judge for yourselves. Now I'm going to Psalm 119, Mem. Oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it all day long. Your commands make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever with me. 
I have more insight than all my teachers, for I meditate on your statutes. I have more understanding than the elders, for I obey your precepts. I have kept my feet from every evil path, so that I might obey your word. I have not departed from your laws, for you yourself have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. I gain understanding from your precepts, therefore I hate every wrong path. Could this welfare state we have regarding the bread of life be why you are all so lukewarm? Any wheat among you tares are surely convicted by this in your hearts. We've been led astray and must return, or we will be ignored. If not, we will burn. Turn now with me to Luke... Is it Matthew 13? Yes. Uh, da, 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 da. 24 through 30. Okay, yes. Matthew 13, 24 through 30. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed wing, weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did all these weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you're pulling the weeds, you may root up the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and gather them in bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring them into my barn." We're not talking about people that look like they're saved and reject the gospel. The weeds aren't those who reject the gospel. They're the ones who, as Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians, for them the kingdom of God is a matter of talk, not a matter of power. They have all the right answers. They could pass any Sunday school test. However, they don't live it out and know what it means in their heart. It's a difference between having heart understanding and head knowledge. You can have both, because if your heart understands, of course you'll be able to use your mind. However, if it's not in your heart, it doesn't matter how much is in your head. As of now, because you all assumed everyone here was planted as wheat, we are beginning to wonder if you're worthy of being accepted into the kingdom of heaven. And rightly so, because neither of us truly know if we are wheat or weeds, unless we have lived it out for ourselves, unless we have really, in our hearts, forsaken everything and are willing to die for him. Now, once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore. They sat down and collected the good fish in baskets, but they threw the bad away. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all of these things? Jesus asked. Yes, they replied. He said to them, Therefore, every teacher of the law who's been instructed about the kingdom of heaven is like an owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. Now, the last bit of that is important because a teacher that truly has this understanding is able to say it in their own words because they understand it in the spirit of it. They don't have to recite anything verbatim because the scripture already aligns 
with their understanding that they can put in their own words. Now, the truth of the matter is that you know in your heart if this applies to you. Mm -hmm. This is how every good crop of wheat is founded. If you do not see the kingdom of heaven, this way in following the parable, you have missed it. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. Then in his joy, went and sold all he had to buy that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away, sold everything he had, and bought it. The Bible is your roadmap to finding the treasure. It will tell you all about what to look for so that whenever you see it, you know how valuable it is. But obviously, if you aren't willing if the need arises to sell everything you have to buy the pearl of great value or to buy the field that the treasure is in to guarantee that it's yours, then you haven't found it because the kingdom of heaven is something that the Bible is the best amount and combination of words to guide you to it. But the reason parables are the most useful for finding it is because there's no amount of explicit description of the kingdom of heaven that will give it to you from somebody else digging it up. Unless you, in your heart, take the initiative to search, then you will find it. Anybody who seeks, anybody who knocks, it will be given to them. You all are evil, and you know how to give good gifts to your children. Same with the Father, and how much more? Because He's good. So you will get the Holy Spirit, but unless you are so, you know, you know what when you see it, unless you have seen how valuable it is, then you won't be willing to sell all you have to buy it. Now, every other verse has spoken plainly to you to make a point and to build on one another. Every church in America is devoid of spiritual gifts. When was the last time you went to a gathering and it looked like this? Now, we're going back to 1 Corinthians 14, and I'm going to read the beginning of orderly worship because here he describes what it looks like to go into a church that has been bestowed with the Holy Spirit. It doesn't look like a teacher in a pulpit telling everybody how to interpret the Bible. Now, here's what it says. Let's pick up in verse 26. What shall I say then, brothers? When you come together, everyone has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. All of these must be done for the strengthening of the church. If anyone speaks in a tongue, two or at most three should speak one at a time, and someone must interpret. If there's no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and God. Two or three prophets should speak, and the others should weigh carefully what is said. And if a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the first speaker should stop. For you of all can prophesy in turn so that everyone can be instructed and encouraged. The spirits of prophets are subject to the control of their prophets. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace." And as in the congregation of all the saints, women should remain silent in the churches. They aren't allowed to speak, but must be in submission, as the law says. If they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home, for it's disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. Did the word of God originate with you, or are you the only people it's reached? If anyone thinks he's a prophet or spiritually gifted, let him acknowledge that what I'm writing to you is the Lord's command. If he ignores this, he himself will be ignored." 
Therefore, my brothers, be eager to prophesy. Do not forbid speaking in tongues, but everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. If you think reciting Sunday school answers is what makes you a good fish, you've got another thing coming. Nobody needs your pamphlet. We need faith that shakes mountains, prayers that terrify hell, prophets that accurately, accurately rebuke in compassion, and love that crushes stone-hard hearts. Now, this is the end of the lesson, and I'm going to go ahead and give you a word to leave you on. Finally, turn with me to Revelation chapter 5, 1 through 14. This is the hope that we have. The scroll and the lamb. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne, encircled by the four creatures and the elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the sevenfold spirit of Elohim sent unto all the earth. He came and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp, and were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. Because you were slain with your blood, you purchased men for Elohim. From every tribe and language, people and nation, you've made them to be a kingdom of priests to serve our Elohim, and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands, and ten thousand times ten thousand. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they sang, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain, to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them singing, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures all said Amen, and the elders fell down and worshipped.